Not really quite sure how to start. A few weeks ago, uh, we were doing a Bible study on Sunday night, and I was talking about the Holy of Holies. Anybody know what that is? This is the most inner part of the temple, either the tabernacle and later on the temple when they built it. And uh, it's the very innermost part, and it's what separated the very presence of God from everybody else. And it was divided by a huge uh, curtain, real tall, incredibly thick, ornate, beautiful curtain. And the, the high priest could enter in once a year to give a sacrifice to temporarily keep things going until a more perfect sacrifice could come. And that wasn't without risk. He had to be, uh, had to sacrifice and cleanse himself, to sanctify himself in order to go in. And he would go in and make a sacrifice. And again, this was to separate the very presence of God because of those days, the presence of God was present inside of the veil, inside the very holy of holies. And so I want you to keep that in your mind that I want to read a section tonight out of 2 Corinthians. And we're going to talk about Moses for a good portion of the evening. We're going to talk about the veil that separates us from God, and we're going to make some application to it. So if you want to turn there, if you have your Bibles handy and you can fill your fingers enough to turn, we'll be in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, again with verse 7. And it says, it reads as follows, Now if the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, Will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was a glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, that once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what is being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such hope, we are very bold, not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the coming of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, the veil lies over their hearts." But when one turns to the Spirit, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, behold the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So there's a lot packed in to this very short passage. A whole lot. And we could spend several nights discussing and untangling all of this, but I want us to talk tonight about this veil. And I want us to go back to Moses and think about why is Moses being talked about here and why did he have a veil over his face? Well, let's do a little bit of a history lesson. We'll fly through Exodus real quick. Most of us remember pretty well how this works. So we have Moses who murdered an Egyptian, fled for his life out of the land, Found a wife, very happy being a farmer, it appears to be. Minding his own business. I don't know if this has ever happened to anybody else or not. When God all of a sudden gets your attention and reminds you that you belong to him. 
Moses was told to go back to Egypt, where he was a wanted and marked man, to confront the Pharaoh and to tell him to let my people go that they may worship me in the desert. We forget the second half of that verse a lot. Let my people go so they can worship me in the desert. So he goes back. He makes all kinds of excuses. None of them last. Again, I don't know if anybody's ever experienced that before or not. So he goes back with his brother. He goes before Pharaoh repeatedly. And Pharaoh will say yes and then harden his heart and back and forth. And all the plagues come and the Passover comes. And Pharaoh finally relents and lets them go. And they all leave plundering Egypt as they go. And they set out into the wilderness. And they're guided along the way by the, the cloud that guides them by night, providing direction and shade of the Lord, and the pillar of fire at night, which also guides the way and gives them protection and warmth in the evenings. And they get to what seems like a dead end, to the edge of an ocean, of a great sea, and Pharaoh changes his mind and comes rushing in to get them. And Moses prays to God, and God says, watch what I'm going to do. And God parts the sea they walk across on dry land. The water comes crashing down over Pharaoh's army and destroys all of them. And they're safe on the other side. But it doesn't end there, does it? Moses writes a beautiful song, as, at least how it's titled in the scriptures in Exodus 15. And we see that he makes some horrible, nasty, bitter water sweet to drink through the help of God. God sends manna from heaven to feed them and quail. And in, verse, in chapter 17... He gets water from a rock. We're going to come back to that in a minute. But don't forget, God told him to go to this rock to bring forth water, and he did. Moses goes to Mount Sinai, around 7,000 feet up. They camp at the base. And God, in his infinite power, speaks directly to the people and tells them how they are to live. That's that law written in stone that the Apostle Paul was referring to. And he told the Israelites, this is how you should worship me. This is what you must do. You must not commit murder. You must not commit adultery. What we generally think of as the Ten Commandments. And the people, fearful of the conditions, afraid of the loud thunder and the fire and the smoke and the trumpet, pulled back in fear and said, Moses, you go get God's commands for us and you come back and tell us. And Moses agrees and he goes up onto the mountain. He's there for 40 days receiving the commands of the Lord. The Lord writes with his own finger into these stone tablets. And Moses begins to come down the mountain. And what have the people done within 40 days? Well, they've completely turned against God. And I've said this before in many places that I have preached, but I'll just say it again in case you haven't heard it or thought about it. I used to think that these people were crazy. 40 days, really, God, all these plagues, you see the waters part, you get fed from heaven every day, water comes gushing forth out of a rock, but then this Moses disappears for 40 days and you worship a cow? And then I'm very quick to remember that I'm really not that different. And you probably aren't either. Not an excuse. Moses comes back down and God tells him you need to go back down for the People you brought forth and polluted themselves. He, in anger, smashes the tablets, and there's a lot that goes on there. And where I want to get to and spend just a few minutes, it's all the way over in Exodus 33. Actually, Exodus 32, verse 30. 
says, The next day Moses said to the people, You have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord. I'm assuming he went back up the mountain, another 7,000-foot journey, just, just for context. So Moses turned to the Lord and said, Alas, the people have sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now, if you will, forgive their sins. But if it not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. But the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me will I blot out of my book. But now go and lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sins upon them. And then the Lord sent a plague to the people because they made the calf and the one that Aaron made. And the, Lord's, and the Lord said to Moses, Depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your offspring, I will give it. And I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites and the Amorites and the Hittites and the Pezzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. And so here, after all this that Moses has done, he's faced with a choice. He can continue on without the presence of God, guided by angels, promised to go to the promised land, to march in and destroy all the enemies, but not with the presence of God. Unsatisfied, we see, I'm picking up in chapter 33, verse 4. He goes back down the mountain. He tells the people their message. But instead of leaving right away, he begins to, it seems like, daily commune with the Lord. In verse 7, it says, Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp. He called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out of the tent, all the people would rise up and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses till he got into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, a pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of the cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, and all the, um, sorry, all the people would rise up and worship each at his tent door. This is important. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to a friend. When Moses returned again to the camp, his assistant Joshua, son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. And so we see Moses refusing to move on without God being with them, and instead going daily, it would appear, in worshiping and talking with God face to face. Many, many years ago, a gentleman asked me when I was young what my prayer life was like. And for once, I was honest with him, and I said, well, not very good. And he gave me a great piece of advice. He said, just go talk to God. Just speak with him like we're having a conversation. And I tried it that night, and it worked really well. So well, I did it again the next night, and the next. And a few weeks later, I met the Lord face to face. You know, I'm skipping ahead here, but this is the beautiful part about the relationship we have today is we can talk to God face to face. We can speak with him. He hears us, and he will talk back to us. We don't have to depend on a priest to go and make a sacrifice for us because Jesus Christ, the high priest, made the once and for all sacrifice, and I have access to his presence. But it wasn't so in this time. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up the people, but you have never let me know whom you will send with me. 
Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Now, this is a man who talks to God every day and a pillar of clouds that come down. This is a man who's led them out of um, Egypt, who's seen all these things come. And what does he want? He wants to know God more. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here, for it shall be known that I have found favor in your sight and your people. Is it not your going with us so that we are distinct? I and your people from every other on the face of the earth. See, Moses understands something very important that we would do well to remember as believers. It is God's presence that makes us distinct from everyone else. It's the saving grace of God and our communion with him that makes us unique. And if God is not with us, then we are just like everyone else. And Moses understands this and says, I will not move unless you go with me. And then he makes the most amazing request ever. And the Lord said to Moses, this is a very, uh, this very thing you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. And Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face, for a man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes, I will put for you a cleft in the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face you shall not see. So Moses says, I want to know you. I want to see you. I want to experience you. Show me your glory. And God says, you can't handle the glory that is me, but I'll put you in this little place. I'll cover you with my hand, and I'll walk by you. And after I leave, you'll get a glimpse just a glimpse of the glory of God. And what we see that happens after that is Moses continues on the mountain for another 40 days. If you're adding this up, it's a lot. He gets instructions again on the law. Of course, he has to write them down on the tablets this time. But he brings them down the mountain. So he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. Neither he ate bread nor drank. And he wrote in the tablets the word of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. I promise this is the key. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, he came down from the mountain. Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near to him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and the elders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them that the Lord had spoken with him in the Mount, on Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. And whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he had commanded... The people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining. And Moses would put the veil back over his face 
until he went in to speak with him again. And so we see that Moses experienced the most glory that you can possibly experience and remain alive. And it changed the very presence of his face. It shone, it glowed. It's hard to describe exactly what it was, but something was so different about the face of Moses that he didn't even realize was going on until he approached everyone else and they were like, we're going to back away. And that's exactly what they did. And so they said, no, no, come back. And they all come back to him. And he begins to teach them and would have his face unveiled when he would teach them the truth of God. And when he would go in and worship to God and speak to God. And every other time he wore something over his face so that the people would not be afraid. Now let me make a quick application. Now that we understand the history and the story of Moses we understand the veil and the tabernacle, and we understand that Moses would put something over his face to keep the people from being afraid. Let me go back and reread 2 Corinthians and make some application here. It says in verse 7, Now if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, and then in verse 13, it says, Not like Moses, who put a veil over his face, so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. There's some interpretation for what this exactly means. And so I'm going to make an application that I think is correct, and we can argue about it and still be good friends. But it seems possible that the glory that Moses experienced over time began to fade. And he was using the veil not to keep the people from being afraid, but to keep them from seeing the fading glory that was on his face. And you might think, why would you do that? Why would you ever try and hide from the people so that they don't know what's going on? I call this the veil of false pretense. How many of us have been saved at some point in our lives, have experienced the very glory of God, and over time have gotten further and further away from God until the glow that should come off of our face, the things that the world should see in us, become so dim that you can't recognize who we are anymore, but we still put on the good church face. Maybe we still go to church just to make other people think that we still know what's going on. Maybe we still put the bumper sticker on our car. Maybe we still say, praise the Lord and God bless you and say we're going to pray for someone and then turn around and never do it. Maybe we are doing the same exact thing that Moses did by hiding behind a veil when really God's glory in us is beginning to fade. It's a real challenging question that we have. It's a challenging question for myself. And we wonder... Are we wearing a veil of false pretense, trying to keep up appearances? You know, the rest of the world does this. We buy certain clothes, we drive certain cars, we have certain titles and jobs just to keep up a good appearance. Let's not think we don't do this as quote-unquote Christians too. But we shouldn't. We shouldn't and we don't need to. Now let me talk about the difference for just a minute. Because there's also this problem with the veil of sin. And that's an entirely different veil. And this is what I want to talk to you tonight. If you don't 
know the Lord, if you've never experienced salvation, there is a different veil that is between you and God. And that is one that you cannot cross over into except for the fact that God made a way. Those who are, unsin, who, are, who are unsaved, who are lost, who are in their sin, there is a separation from you and God, and that is your sin. That is the sin you were born with. That is the sin you purposely do after you have been born and are old enough. In fact, Habakkuk 1.13, God says, uh, his eyes are too pure to look at evil. This is why there was a veil when he physically lived on earth and his presence was there because you couldn't come near it or else you'd die. There had to be a separation, but there had to be a way for us to get to God because this was not the original design. If you go back to Genesis, Adam and Eve walked in the garden unashamed and unafraid of who? Of God. They spoke with God. They talked with God. They walked with God seemingly on a daily basis and had no fear whatsoever because there was no sin. There was no separation. And when they sinned, they were removed from the garden. They were removed from the presence of God, just like we are removed from the presence of God. And there is a veil. There is something that keeps us from seeing the very presence of God and his wrath burning us to death. So we go back to this Holy of Holies where God was living in the presence of the Israelites. And we see the importance of this with Jesus Christ. Because on the day that he was crucified, and in fact at the very moment that he finally gave up his life as a sacrifice for us, that veil, that hundred foot tall curtain was ripped from top to bottom. Thick as thick can be. This is not a piece of cloth that's very thin. This is a miracle that happened. And what happened was for the first time in history, the room where the presence of God was, was open so that anyone could access it at any time. Matthew 27 says, and when Christ died, I'm sorry, when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. And at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And we have a representation that there is now nothing that is keeping us in the very presence of God because Jesus Christ, as the perfect sacrifice, paid for our sins. And we can approach God in a way that Moses never could. Hebrew 10, 19 says, we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. So let me go back to 2 Corinthians again. Let me read the last part of that. Verse 14, starting out, says, But their minds were hardened, for to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that's the, the Ten Commandments, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. Young ones, old ones, brothers and sisters, listen to me. The reality is this. You can try and keep the Ten Commandments. You're going to fail. You can try and be as good as you want to, you're going to fail. You can be as smart as you want to. You can study the scriptures all day long. But if there is something keeping you from God, it is not enough. And without the spirit of God intervening in our lives, it will never be enough. We will never be able to make it through that veil if not for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. 
We can study it all we want to. You can go to church all you want to. It doesn't matter who your father is. It doesn't matter who your mother is. It doesn't matter who your relative is. It doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is Jesus Christ. He is the one who can tear the veil open that you can enter into the very presence of God and receive forgiveness. But when the one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. You hear that? When you turn to God for forgiveness of your sins, the veil, the thing that separates you from God is removed and is no longer. Amen. Now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is a freedom. This ties in with what I just said, just to make sure there's never any confusion about this. Uh, salvation is something that isn't physical. It's spiritual. You can do anything physical you want to. The Hebrew letter tells us over and over again that if the, the blood of sacrificed animals could somehow cover sins, we wouldn't need Jesus Christ. But we need him because he did something that couldn't be done physically. That is, he took my sins away from me because of his sacrifice. And if you're trying to get through the blockade to God any other way, you're going to fail. It's only through the spirit of God that you could enter. And we all with unveiled face behold the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another from the, uh, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. At some point in your life, I believe the Lord will speak to you and tell you just how wrong you are. And you will have an opportunity to fall on your face before him and ask for mercy and forgiveness and experience the full face of God and actually get to know him and for him to know you. Or you can deny it and walk away. And what happens when those of us who have received the salvation that God wants to give us, we are changed, we become new creatures, and we are able to enter into his presence any time we want. Why did the glory fade off of Moses' face? I thought a lot about this. There's a couple possible explanations for it, but you know what I think might be very realistic? He had one time to actually experience the presence of God. Brothers and sisters, if you know Jesus Christ, you can experience the presence of God in prayer any time you want. This is why this is better, as it said earlier. This is why the old thing passes, and behold, there is a new covenant that is better, a new covenant of Jesus Christ's blood, so that we can enter into the Holy of Holies, into the very presence of God, when we want to. And if you feel like, brothers and sisters who know the Lord, Christians, if you feel like your glory is fading, guess whose fault that is? It's my fault. See, God is everywhere. God is at all times. God isn't any further away from you now than he was five years ago, and he won't be any closer to you tomorrow than he is right now. The reality is this. Because God is in all places and is in all times, it's us who do the leaving. We're always the ones who walk away. And if you feel like your glory is fading, 
If you feel like people don't see you as a believer that they should, then our responsibility is to go running back into the very presence of God to be recharged, to be reunited, not saved again, but have your cup filled back up with that spirit so that you can go back into the world, face the world, and they will know you are different, just like Moses told God, I want people of the world to know that we are different because you are with us. And so for those of us who know him, I think the question becomes very plain and very simple. Are you wearing a veil of false pretense? Are you going along to get along? Are you just trying to fake it? Stop because it won't work. Instead, go back to the one who tore the veil, who opened up the way, who died to receive you and be reunited, rejuvenated, refreshed to go back into the world as God would have you. And for those who've never entered the presence of God the first time, it's very similar. If God is calling you into his very presence, then I urge you, I beg you to seek after him. Whatever veil you're putting in front of it, whether it's your pride, whether you don't want to apologize, whether you don't think that you're wrong, whether you want to be saved a certain way or at a certain time or a certain day, you have to put all that aside because that's just a veil you're putting up in front of God. And that is a problem as well. Let me read the very last verse in a different translation. Be progressively, I'm sorry, progressively being transformed into his image, one degree of glory to even more glory, which comes from the Lord who is the spirit. Brothers and sisters, we can experience the presence of God and we can be changed by it. We don't have to be like Moses and beg God just for one tiny experience to see his backside. We can know God and be changed by him. And when we need to be refilled, rejuvenated, reunited, again, not for salvation, that happens once, but when we need to be filled again, we can go to him for that. Stop putting on the false self and the false nature, but instead, progressively, as in reoccurringly, be transformed into his image from one degree of glory to even more glory. The glory of the Lord can shine bright in you. Maybe you've known somebody that's shown really bright. I've known several. But the reality is this, you never reach the pinnacle. Glory unto glory, more and more glory. God will give us more and more and more of his glory and spirit if we simply would go back, spend time with him and ask. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this opportunity to come here tonight. Lord, I thank you for your beautiful word. Lord, I thank you for how you connect and help us to understand from uh, accounts of things that happened thousands of years apart. Lord, I'm thankful for all of the things that you did for us. Lord, the way that you showed us how inaccurate our sacrifices were. Lord, the way that you gave us the law to be a teacher, to tell us you can't do this on your own. 
And Lord, that you provided a way, a spiritual way, something that I could never earn or never buy or never do, and that you would reveal your presence. Lord, that you would send your son and his body to be broken, just as the veil was torn in half so that we can access you. And Lord, I am thankful to live in a time now after your son has paid the ultimate sacrifice, after he was dead, crucified, buried, and raised to life, conquering death and seated at your right hand, that I can enter as a priest into your presence at any moment. And Lord, I pray for those who are here who need to drop some of the false pretenses and some of the veils they're putting up. Lord, let us be honest with each other. Let us be truthful with each other and say, brother, sister, look, I'm hurting. I need help. And let us truly go to one another and help them. And for those who've never experienced your grace and your love and your truth for the first time, Lord, I pray that you would reach out to them. Lord, help them to know that your presence, your glory is real and it can be found if they would just seek after it. And Lord, if anyone needs to seek, Lord, I pray that you would help them. Help them to put aside the veil that they may have that's clouding their vision that keeps them from uh, truly gazing unto you. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to look unto you, the author and finisher and perfecter of our faith. In your name we pray. Amen.